1: Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Can you hear me?
0: I can hear you, darling. Can you hear me?
1: I can, darling.
0: Tonight, I'm talking to my friend, Jeff Goldblum.
1: I'm in L.A. in my Mm -hmm. closet with a couch, you know.
0: I don't have a closet with a couch, but I'm going to get one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Note to self.
1: <laughs> I recommend it.
0: <laughs> we're miles and miles apart, but through food, through movies, through politics, through memories, we're really close.
1: Let's start. Let's not waste any of this magic and let's let's start the let's turn on the okay. juice. Are we starting? Are we Yeah, starting? we could Are start.
0: We... The only thing, I'm a chef and I have a restaurant, but I may not be the best interviewer. So you can say Ruthie you're doing a bad job. Start all over again, okay?
1: You're already an excellent interviewer, and you can't (laughs) possibly make a mistake or do a bad job. I think you're fantastic.
0: So I'm going to ask you if you would read the recipe that you've chosen.
1: Oh, should I kick it off with it? I certainly will. So I've got this book in front of me, and I've turned to, I've dog-eared the um, slow-cooked fennel. Well, there's not much to read. It's like a haiku. I see. Okay, ready? Here's my rendering. Okay. And if you don't like it, you can say take...
0: Take two.
1: Wait, I haven't taken one yet. Just a second. Okay, here's take take, one. Take one. You know how many takes uh, Stanley Kubrick would do sometimes for a movie?
0: No, tell me.
1: Famously, 87. I wish I would would have worked with him. I love his movies, and he made movies around your neck of the woods there. Yeah.
0: Okay, come on, read the recipe.
1: You are a good interviewer. I like when the interviewer claps your hands and says, come on. Get up! All right. Come on there. (laughs) Okay. Here here it goes. Slow cooked fennel serves six, six fennel bulbs, five tablespoons olive oil, five garlic cloves peeled. That's it. That's as much as I have on the page. Is that it? You've
0: just read the ingredients. Now go down to the method.
1: Oh, okay. 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 So, so far, so good. We've and also, we I think
0: I think it says fennel cut into eighths, doesn't it?
1: No. I pride myself on my reading skills. It says serve six, six fennel bulbs. Oh, okay. of okay, garlic cloves. Okay, fuel. your
0: reading skills are really good. Now just go down to the method.
1: Here's what it says. Well, here's what it says on the rest of the page. It says, in the River Cafe kitchen... We all have an opinion on the color of the fennel, brown or pale, but we agree on the classic rule that they should be cooked long enough so that you can cut them with a fork. Uh, new paragraph. Cut each fennel bulb vertically into eighths. Oh, here we go. This is this, it. Uh, heat the olive oil in a large saucepan. Add the fennel, garlic, and some sea salt and black pepper, and cook over a medium heat, stirring occasionally for about 10 minutes or until the fennel begins to brown. Add sufficient boiling water to come barely one quarter of the way up the fennel, then lower the heat. Simmer uncovered until the fennel is very soft, which will take 20 to 30 minutes. Stir occasionally and add a little more boiling water if necessary, but there should be no liquid at all when the fennel is cooked. End of page, end recipe. What do you think of that?
0: I think it's beautifully read and very clear. Why of all the recipes and all the books did you choose slow cooked fennel? It's one of my favorite things to eat, but I'm interested as to why you chose it.
1: I'm, you may not know this about me, I'm easy to please. This is all the height of cookery, and this is all the most delicious things in the world, but I'm easy to please, and I like all food. There there's anything I kind of haven't tried, wouldn't try, and enjoy. It looks great to me. Look at that. My mouth is watering as I look at this picture. How'd you come up with this? It's your recipe? Well,
0: interesting, because... The recipe came from somebody who really influenced my cooking and my partner Rose in the River Cafe's cooking, Richard's mother, Dada Rogers, who came from Trieste and from Florence and came to London just before the war, Second World War. And she kept her cooking tradition really close to her and taught many, many people how to cook. And one of the interesting things about the way she cooked was the way she cooked and the way Italians cook vegetables. Cooking the fennel slowly in olive oil and garlic, but then adding water makes it all melt and absorb the juices and it intensifies the flavor. So I learned this recipe from my mother-in-law, Dada Rogers. What's your first name? Her name was Ermengarda, but they called her Dada. So who does the cooking? Do you cook? You cook for your children? Do you cook?
1: Well, that's funny. My wife now, Emily, with whom I've been for about 10 years, She was Emily Livingston. We got married four years ago. She's now Emily Goldblum. She's from Canada. Her mom is French from Nantes, and she's very close to her mom. Her mom is a kind of wonderful cook, you know, makes crepes and all kinds of things. She prides herself on her cooking, and they love their food over there, and that family loves their food, and Emily... She was in the Olympics. She mm. um, early on got the bug to be a, a gymnast. And she studied, a, some Bulgarian coach saw her and, and took her to Russia for most of the years between 11 and 16, much to her mother's anxiety. But she wound up being the Pan-American champion, and then she was in the uh, Olympics. And now she has taken to cooking and learning some of her mom's recipes. She's been cooking, baking bread, crepes, and croque monsieur and croque madame. And so she cooks We had breakfast this morning, and she cooked some scrambled eggs with cheese in them. And then she made oatmeal. See, I'm, I'm easy to please, I can have this every day. It was kind of sweetened with maple syrup, and she has this French butter that she likes to put a little in, and had some chia seeds in it. Like that. That's what I had this morning.
0: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. com slash Ruthie. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought...
0: Did you grow up, What did your parents cook? What was food like at home?
1: Well, that's funny. I grew up in Pittsburgh. My dad was, I think, like your dad was, wasn't your dad a doctor? Yeah. My dad was a doctor also, and his parents were from Russia. And my mom's parents, her dad was from Austria. My dad's dad was named Povarczyk uh, mm. and changed it to Goldblum. Anyway, in our house, we had four kids the doctor and Mrs. Goldblum and she used to cook. Yes. This is the fifties, sixties in mm-hmm. America. So this is you know, meatloaf time. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, canned vegetables mm-hmm. that were popular at the time. They even introduced us to on nights that they went out to Swanson's TV dinners.
0: TV dinners, uh, yeah.
1: Swiss steak and all that stuff. But she would make things. I remember this, she had a recipe for potato salad. My mouth is watering now, and I'm getting a little nostalgic about it. She used to make it. It was her own thing. It was mayonnaise and potatoes and celery and olives. She had these green olives, the kind that you get with pimentos in them. I love that. But she would make also this spaghetti. I'll tell you, I love this thing. It was spaghetti, now that I know it. I don't think she called it this, bolognese. I think she said spaghetti with meat sauce. And she put it in a great big kind of translucent green bowl, dark green Mm -hmm. bowl. Geez, I loved that so much. That was great. And then we got a barbecue outside. They like to put steaks on the grill and they went on cruises and stuff. You can imagine the mm-hmm. doctor and his missus. They went to Las Vegas for some, you know, doctor, you know, mm-hmm. getaways and cruises and that kind of stuff. Come back from Haiti with a couple of items, you know, and a And they painted a shuffleboard court on the cement in our backyard. Can you believe it? I was the only, you know, it was a blue-collar neighborhood. All the other kids in school were kids of steelworkers. I was a fish out of water already. A very strange boy (laughs) in a strange family, I think. Then they had a little wet bar, I remember. And every couple of weeks, they would have the Chernoos come over to play bridge. Mm -hmm. And I would listen from my upstairs bedroom, you know, just hear sounds going on after we were supposed to be asleep.
0: But it is interesting that food and memories, so our memories of our childhood. You're remembering the pasta in the green bowl. You remember it was in a green bowl and you remember the is very strong for all of us is the a memory of our childhood. Is it listening to our parents' dinners, you know, when we're supposed to be in bed, wondering did they eat different food for their grown up friends as opposed to what we ate around the table when did you start becoming aware of other cultures, other food? and rest? Did you go with to restaurants with your
1: parents? Right well, yeah, well,
0: we that must go- be being a bad interview. When did you become aware of other food cultures? You're a very right?
1: good interviewer. I like that. It's a multi-part question. I'm going to answer all of them. I, can kind
0: of <laughs> I was told not but- <laughs> to ask a multi-part question.
1: <laughs> I'll give you a doctor's excuse. You're doing very well. So here's your multi-part question. And the first part that I want to talk about is the restaurants that we went to in Pittsburgh, and there weren't many, but we would go to, well, this is, of course, the the beginning of, you know, fast food stuff. And I remember there's a place called Eaton Park that we used Mm -hmm. to go and get some stuff and eat in the car. And they had chipped ham that people from Pittsburgh will know that that we used to come home and make kind of sloppy joes, but with this chipped ham that we put barbecue sauce with Mm -hmm. this stuff. and That was kind of delicious. Then there was this pizza place. On Saturdays, we watched scary movies, Chili Billy Cardilli, and my older brothers, they were starting to drive, and they would go to this place called The Junction Pizza and bring back this square cut pizza. Man, I loved that. And then we would all go out to Tambellini's Restaurant, an Italian so-called restaurant. I remember that's the first time I tasted this thing called a Caesar salad. There were some yeah. hard-boiled eggs in it, and I thought that was spectacular. <laughs> And then we would go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, oh, there was this one, (laughs) there must have been others. There was one Chinese restaurant. I think it was Bill Ung's. And, you know, we would go on a once a month or something like that on a Sunday night. And it was, I think, Cantonese and just, you know, very kind of standard fare. But I thought that was great, too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I say, every eating adventure was great. And then we went on vacations. We Mm -hmm. would go to, we would get in our station wagon and all go to Atlantic City, Mm-hmm. And get that saltwater taffy on the boardwalk. And we went to New York City once. Then I was in fourth grade. And we went to Greenwich Village at the time and had our pictures done, our portraits done by some artist, you know, beatnik artist on the street <laughs> on the with street. charcoal street. <laughs> You're the first person gonna-
0: I've ever met that had one done on the street. That- oh, no, I had one in the Piazza Navona once, Yeah.
1: That's so cute. Well, you're much more sophisticated. Your whole life has been sophisticated.
0: It it wasn't sophisticated at all. Do you know what, Jeff? That's so similar to kind of my growing up because my father would take us from upstate New York once a month. And what we would do is we would go see the big ships in the harbor that had docked like the Queen Elizabeth. Then he would take us to a musical in the afternoon. And then we would go to Sam Goodies. Do you remember that music store? And we would buy the record from the musical so if it was i don't know west side story or whatever it was we'd buy the record and then we would we would have a restaurant meal, and then we would go home, and then we would just play the record over and over and over until I knew every single song.
1: You're talking my language now. We did grow up similarly. My parents both sort of flirted early on in their youth with a theatrical career of some kind before he was going to be a doctor, da-da-da. And so they were fans of the arts. They used to go on their own to New York and see Broadway shows and come back with the records, the cast albums of West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof and My Fair Lady and all those things. Yes, and I would listen to it over and over, Learn it. But yeah, very similar. In New York, we went to this place called the Cattleman. I think it was a touristy kind of steak restaurant. We'd get take home and they'd wrap it up in some aluminum foil thing in the shape of a you know swan or something. I (laughs) I remember that was unusual.
0: Do you take your kids to restaurants? Because I think it's the image of restaurant now is so different. For me, my parents eating out in a restaurant was a kind of special occasion. And now I just see the way my kids and Kids and families eat out like all the time. Do you take your kids to restaurants?
1: I agree. It's probably too much. And I'll bet with your sensibility, you love the home style cooking. And I do too. And especially during this last COVID period, it's forced us to eat less in restaurants, We weren't doing it much before. We have a nice home life and a nice culinary home life. I like meals with the kids. I love breakfast with the kids. We have dinner with the kids. It's really great. But before that, we had gotten together with my sister and gone to a restaurant that I'll bet you would like here, maybe you know it in Los Angeles, Musso and Frank's. But we would go there. It's a kind of traditional restaurant. They say it's the oldest restaurant in Los Angeles. We'd go with the kids and my sister. They have a menu that doesn't say sorbet. They still call it sherbet, you know. And then we would go to a couple other places, but not many. But things are just opening up now. And we went just this last weekend with the kids for the first time in a long while to Craig's, who kind of built an outdoor Mm. place. And they're kind of Italian and this and that. And they had a good time. There, but the kids like food. It's so interesting to see the kids eat and what they like, you know.
0: Did you ever Uh, work in a restaurant?
1: I never did. You know, I was so lucky. I have an unusual story. As soon as I decided to become an actor, I went to New York, lived there for four years, studied with Sandy Meisner. And then, as soon as I finished school, even before I started school, I kind of happened into work and mm-hmm. started to work and have worked steadily for these last four decades or so without ever having to take another, another job. straight so-called job, except for one week I sold pens and pencils on the phone, but mm-hmm. I'm too sensitive for that. I wound up in the hospital, I don't know, maybe related or, or unrelated, but anyway, that was mm-hmm. the last last time I did something not having to do with that, or music. You know, I play music mm-hmm. these days and go out and they give us some money for playing music, but I, I do all of it just because I love it. That's yeah. why I ever did any of it, yeah.
0: restaurants, I always think that actors do gravitate to working in restaurants because they are theatrical, aren't they, restaurants? Even if you're in a bad mood, you have to be in a good mood. Or if you don't like the customer, you have to pretend you like the customer. And also dramatic things happen in restaurants. I always say people do very private things in a public space. And Michael Caine said he never ever did a movie without doing the deal first in a restaurant. He said all the movie deals were always made over lunch, but did you find that or is your generation different? Was restaurants for you working lunches or is it always just pleasure?
1: It's been many different things. It has been a lot of business. There's a hotel near here, near my house. I've been in the same house for 35 years and there's a hotel near here that has a very nice place. And I've had many meetings there with people on movies that I'm going to do and projects that I'm going to do, or just to meet people or talk about things. And yeah, that's happened a lot and private things. And I like kind of, you know, restaurants that are casual in a way where you feel very free for, you know, an encounter, a human encounter that can be freewheeling. Isn't Mm -hmm. so stuffy, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I like that. But I'd love to come now and see you and go yeah. to the restaurant. You know, you know. Dude, we
0: could we could put a piano in the River Cafe and we could play the piano and sing. We have a beautiful place for a piano.
1: I would love to, because I know you opened Sylvia's and you've got live piano music there.
0: Yeah, we just closed Sylvia's. So.
1: <laughs> you did? Why? What happened?
0: It's a long story, but it was just a small little space that they gave us for a short time, the landlords. It's sweet. It was named it after my mom.
1: Oh, Sylvia.
0: Yeah, her name was Sylvia. My mom
1: was also an S, was Shirley. My mom was Shirley.
0: Shirley, that'd be a nice name for a little restaurant, Shirley's, yeah.
1: So Sylvia's won't be your cooking there and you took the piano that you were using there and you may put it back. So I'm
0: going to maybe move it into the River Cafe.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest
0: paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment
0: movies and food. When you're working, do you stop for food? Do you care about what you eat on set? And when you're in the theater, do you eat before the play, after the play? What's the relationship between food and work?
1: Very interesting. Well, I think I have a system like a hummingbird in some way myself. So I, if anything, I can run out of steam. I need Food. So on the set these days, and there's a lot to talk about different kinds of crews and places you shoot movies where they have different things. You know, in France, I've made movies and they have a bottle of wine on the table and they take a nice (laughs) leisurely lunch. But in this thing I just did, I did the Thor thing in Australia and they have a walking lunch, meaning Nobody takes a break, and there's food that comes around, and you just eat as you go. But these days, I like, you know, when I'm acting, I need fuel and the best kind of fuel. So I'm still experimenting with, you know, whole grains, carbs, and... I think
0: he's outside.
1: I uh, know I'm in my backyard. Did you see that? You saw it on, saw on the radio. It's beautiful. Here's my backyard.
0: Do you grow vegetables there or
1: not? Well, you know... <laughs> I wish I was like you, I'll bet, or my friend, Ed Begley Jr., and had a whole garden and could really eat just from his backyard. But no, what we've got is, I'm walking you back, is I want to show you this loquat tree. Oh, loquat. Yeah, I know
0: about loquats.
1: That's that's an orange tree that there's nothing...
0: (laughs) No, no, it's cutting in and out.
1: That's no good. Hey, you know what I came upon? Speaking of that fennel recipe, you know... Tell me. I came upon... A poem by Longfellow from 1842 called The Goblet of Life that has a little snippet about fennel. You want to hear it? It's just a few lines. It goes like this. Above the lower plants it towers, the fennel with its yellow flowers. And in an earlier age than ours was gifted with the wondrous powers lost vision to restore how about that?
0: Uh, well, fennel is a very romantic... It is, because it has these incredible leaves. You can have the fennel herb, you have the bulb of fennel, you have the stalks of fennel. It does feel Longfellow-ish. It's interesting, but...
1: Food is romantic. I mean, It is. Talk it about is romantic. When happen- you were
0: talking about Kubrick, I was thinking about food in movies, you know, and I was thinking about, okay, this will put me in my generation, but the kitchen scene in The Big Chill and the scene around the table and... And also, this is a multi-question question, but also the Budapest Hotel is about eating and sleeping and the food and the politics. And it's just, it's all fits, doesn't it? It's so interesting.
1: Yes. I love movies about food. I'm thinking about Tampopo off the top mm-hmm. of my head. You ever see that mm-hmm. movie?
0: Yeah. But, yeah. but
1: Wes, of course, is a person like you of terrific sophistication. And during the filming of Grand Budapest Hotel, he had a chef come in, and we all kind of took over this one kind of picturesque, uh, spectacular little hotel, and we had these lovely meals with a candelabra and da-da-da-da-da every night that he'd invite us to. Yes. Can you imagine? And so, and the movie itself, of course, is about provision of services, including food for, you know, uh, people. It's, it, it's, it's delicious and, and romantic, yeah.
0: And that's the thing about whether it's in the cinema or in real life, when you sit around a table and movies where... There is food and there's language and sentiment and tears around the table or in the kitchen. That's uh, it's so important.
1: Oh, so it's so important in all our lives. Oh Uh my gosh.
0: And and food is also political. You know, it's also social and it's unfair and it's, you know, poverty and wealth and particularly now sustainability and how we're going to feed the planet.
1: Sure. Food has everything to do with who we are, how we situate ourselves in the community and uh, figure out how to make this world work for every single one of us, including every single creature. Uh on the planet how to coexist Uh with every other creature without you know exercising brutal dominion that we uh, imagine we may have the right to over other creatures and figure out how to peacefully and more beautifully coexist Uh with each other Uh so it's a big challenge and we must do it and as you know there's no reason why the planet is generous and ample And it's only our political will and mismanagement that allows us Mm. not to figure out how to make it work for everyone, and especially how to get everybody fed. And like speaking of Grand Budapest Hotel, it's besides figuring out how to share the food with everybody. Just offering things and cooking in a way that's gracious, elegant, artful, and loving is an effective and high-class political statement, isn't it? In that movie, yeah. which is about, you know, fighting fascism and, and all that stuff, you know, just sweetness and elegance, mm-hmm. and you know, is an act of uh, politics.
0: I think so. And I think that food is, as you say, it's about love, it's about protection, it's about generosity and consciousness, memories, memories, memories. And it's also about comfort. We want to give other people comfort, so we feed them. And there's times when we need comfort, so we feed ourselves. So I guess my very last question, and I hate to leave you because I love you. What would be your comfort food? When you need comfort, is there something that you would go for?
1: I try to be disciplined because I can be comforted by all sorts of food. Food does comfort me, (laughs) and a lot of food can comfort me at a lot of moments. But if I had to choose and this is where this is going to sound very primitive i like cold cereal you know if i get up mm. in the middle of the night Give me a bowl and give me some milk or milk substitute. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I, I experiment with all those different kind of milks and stuff like that. And cereal. And they're all kind of different cereals. You know, I try to stay low on the sugars. So I like to let them get a little soggy. I'll take that first couple of bites of when it's a little crisp. But when it gets not too soggy, but just medium soggy, I'm very happy about that. And I like a bowl of cereal. Mm.
0: I think that's a beautiful answer. And we'll have your mom's Bolognese. We'll have meatloaf even. We can have whatever we want and we'll have cereal together. So we're just waiting for you in London and waiting for you to come.
1: I want to. I'm going to take you up on that. I can't wait to see you and give you a big hug. We'll put that
0: piano in the River Cafe. We'll sing.
1: We'll play and sing all night.
0: This holiday season, if you can't come to the River Cafe, the River Cafe will come to you. Our beautiful gift boxes are full of ingredients we cook with and design objects we have in our homes. River Cafe olive oil, Tuscan chocolates, Venetian glasses, a Florentine Christmas cake made in our pastry kitchen, and more. We ship them everywhere. To find out more or to place your order, visit shoptherivercafe.co.uk.
1: River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's Better H-E-L-P.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God,